Um, what I'd like to look at this week is something we have not done this before, is to look at Brit Ben Avatarim from kind of a larger perspective because there's actually a problem in the in the story itself, which the Rishonim address and come up with four different possible solutions. And so I just want to kind of look at it and maybe maybe suggest a fifth. We'll see. Um, as you notice, I took uh, the names of two paintings that were painted by whom? Anybody? Rembrandt. Okay, these are Van Gogh. Van Gogh, the Starry Night, right? Starry Night is the name of one painting, but also Sunset and Mont Major. And so that's, that's kind of the problem. I was kind of in a Don McLean mood, so that's what came out. Anyways, I just want to read the Parsha and then point out what the problem is. But the problem, which seems like a technical problem, actually speaks to the entire event that's going on, when it's going on, what's happening, etc. Okay, this is one entire parak. It sits squarely in the middle of Parshat Lech Lecha. Parshat Lech Lecha is chapters 12 through 17 in the chapter breakdown. This is chapter 15. I have no idea what that is. Okay. Um, okay, I'm going to ignore it. All right, so this is now after the war against the kings. So Hashem speaks to Avram in a vision, saying, And the connection of which definitely situates this story as taking place immediately after the war with the kings. So it's after the war with the kings, and it's after the detente with Malkitzedek and the king of Stom, and it's after Avram's refusal to take loot from the king of Stom. That those three pieces. Hashem appears to Avram in a vision and says, "Don't worry, Avram. Anochim agenlach. I am your um, your shield, your protector." And this is where, by the way, Magen Avram comes from this pasuk. You have a great reward. Now, what's he afraid of? So the Rishonim play with this a little bit. It's not our main focus, but Rishonim kind of look at it and say, maybe he's afraid that these kings are going to come take vengeance. Maybe he's afraid that he's lost his chuyot because they all got used up on winning the war. Okay, so Vayomar Avram, and this is where Avram, for the first time, the Avram that we know and love as being, shall we say, very uh, in your face with Hashem, uh, the first time that we see it. Adonai Elohim, mati tenli v'anochi holech ariri. What are you giving me? I am childless. Meaning my CFO, who is Damesek Eliezer, which we assume means Eliezer from Damascus, is the one guy around who would theoretically inherit my, my what I have. What's the point of giving me gifts? Vayomer Avram, and now Avram says something else, which is interesting because this is a, an example of Vayomer Vayomer where Avram speaks, and then Avram speaks again, and the word Vayomer is used again, which is a phenomenon that happens throughout Tanakh. Uh, and in, in, in many cases, it means that the person speaking is waiting for a response, doesn't get it, so speaks again. You haven't given me any kids. My CFO, my, my hand, my, my best man in the house, whatever you want to call it, is going to inherit from me. And so perhaps Avram at this point between Pasuk Bet and Gimel was waiting for Hashem to say no. 
So Avram strengthens the point. Then God spoke to him and said, Lo This one, meaning Eliezer, is not going to inherit from you. Who's going to inherit from you? The one who comes from your loins. In other words, you're going to have a kid, and that kid will be your heir. Because at this time, point, he has no kids whatsoever. By the way, Avram tried several different tacks to create a great nation. The first one was Lot. And that didn't work out. The second one seemed to be some of his treaty partners. That didn't work out. Now he's suggesting that Eliezer will be. And God says, no, it's going to come from you. Now, here's the, here's the first part of the problem. God takes Avram outside. And by the way, what does that mean to take him outside? We would presume it means that God says, you know, come here. Takes him outside. Says, look to the heavens, count the stars, which you cannot count. Basically, if you can count them, you can't count them. Which, by the way, means when is this happening? Night. Night. At night. Take it outside, see the stars, you can't count the stars. He says, that's what your kids will look like. You will have that many like the stars that you can't count. You have innumerable descendants. Beautiful. And this is, by the way, something to be shown and we're divided on who's who here. He trusted God, he being Avram, and he considered it for him to be an act of tzedakah. So does that mean that Avram trusted in God and Avram considered that, uh, that God's promise was an act of tzedakah? Or is it that Avram trusted God and God reckoned it as Stakan Avram's part? A different shear, but an, an interesting pot piece. And then God says to him, That sounds familiar. And this is the model on which the Sarah wrote introduction is built. I am Hashem who took you out of Ur Kastim. This, by the way, is the text hook for the story of Avram and the furnace and being saved. I saved you from the furnace of Kastim, as it were, um, to give you this land to inherit. And now Avram says, which, by the way, sounds like a repeat of the same problem, which is, how do I know I'm going to inherit it? But it's not the same problem. The problem that came up before was, I believe that you're giving me a gift, but I don't have anyone to pass it on to. And that's the stars. Here, it's how do I know that I'm going to inherit it? Which, if you think about it, is another bit of a chutzpah question. Okay? And now God says to him, now, by the way, this is now nighttime, right? Are we good? This is nighttime? Avram's already been outside, seen the stars. And now the next stage is not, will I have kids? Fine. But now, how do I know I'm going to inherit this land? So that I'll pass it on to them. So he says, So take a eglamishulashid, which may mean a fat calf, which is the third of the litter, or it may mean three calves. It's The same with the goat, same with the ram, or three of them. Vitorva goes out. And one bird, one turtle dove, and one of another kind of the same species. Now, by the way, what do those five have in common? 
those are the only five kind of species of living things that go on the Mizbeach later on, right? Which is the flock, the herd, and birds, okay? All right. Um, Avram takes all of these, he cuts them in half. Now, by the way, according to the Rishonim that he took three of each of the mammals, so he puts, uh, well, by, by, he puts the, the, the parts facing each other. So according to the one read that, these, that there were a total of five animals here, two birds and three mammals, he took each mammal and cut the mammal in half. I put one half on one side, one half on the other side, so the two halves of the ram are facing each other. They're both quite dead, obviously. Half a ram's not really living. And he's in the middle. According to the opinion that there were three of each, he took one ram, one ram, and then cut a ram in half. And the same thing with the other two. Okay. Vatatipor um, Lobatar. He did not cut the birds. Right. Uh, this This has all sorts of amazing symbolism to it. And there's a whole lot of depth in everything that happens here. By Yered Ha'ayit Alap Garim, parenthetically, um, in what we might like to call a very old Midrash, but in the book of Yovlim, in the book of Jubilees, there's a whole story about Avram, that Avram makes his first um, splash on society when he's 14 years old. And everybody there had been planting, sound like not very bright farmers, they'd been planting seeds on top of the ground. Like they dropped seeds on top of the ground and the ravens would come down and eat them. And so everything they planted got eaten, which is, of course raised the question, well, why'd you go plant the next day? Like, what was the point? And they couldn't figure out to put seeds in the ground. So Avram came out one day when he was 14 and started screaming at the ravens and, and shooing them away. And that's how the first crop actually worked. Then Avram developed a, um, a seed plow, which he showed them how to make, where you could push it in the ground and the seed goes underground. And that's how they saved them from the ravens. That entire midrash of the ravens comes from this pasuk, because the raven or the buzzard comes down onto the carcasses of the animals by Yashevotam Avram. Avram shooed them away. Okay, just a little footnote. Was, wasn't it Lloyd, wasn't it Lloyd that uh, designed the machinery for plowing? Was it who? Lloyd. Uh, not Lloyd, uh, Noach. So it was Lemech's, uh, evidently Lemech's kid to Valkyan seemed to be the guy who forged steel into um, things that could be used for, for farming. And I don't know where to put the piece in Sefer Yovlim with that. What, two, what we're told Tuval Kayin is, is the first person to actually forge things with metal. The timing, of course, is very difficult because they weren't forging metal at the time. But the, if there's a Midrash about Noach, that's a Midrash. It's in a different Midrashic world than Sefer Yovlim. So by, Sefer Yovlim is part of the Apocrypha. By Hashem this is the part that, as you can see, is kind of difficult. And I color-coded it. The sun started setting. You see the problem. As you can see from the line, which is, looks like stars because it's white with a black background, it's already night. And now it says the sun started setting. And Avram went into a deep sleep. He sees a great darkness and fear comes on him. 
And then, Vayomer Avram, Hashem says to Avram, the famous four psukim of the Brit. You should know that, and the words here are very, very deliberate, your children will be a ger in a land that's not theirs. And the people there will work them and will oppress them for for 400 years. Then the, the nation that oppresses them, I will judge. And then they leave with great wealth. This, yes. of course, we understand as being about Yitzhak Mitzrayim. But you, in the meantime, will see none of this. You'll die at a good old age. Only the fourth generation will return here because by then the sins of the locals will then be filled. You'll be able to dispossess them, etc. Okay. And now, now the sun was fully setting. There was a darkness. And now there was a smoky fire between the pieces, and that was the Brit, and the rest of it says that's the Brit Hashem gave Avram this land. Okay. We have multiple problems here. And before we get to the problems, I just want to find point out something that is, I, I believe, directs us in, in a very powerful direction, which we're not going to focus on, but should not be ignored, about the Brit. Now, by the way, who shows up in the next parak? In the next parak, which is often overlooked, because if you're looking at the highlights in Avram's life, you have Lech Lecha, you have the events in Egypt, you have the second promise of the land, you have the war against the kings, and his very, very powerful stand with Malkitzedek. You have this Brit, and then you have Brit Milah. And in the middle is a tiny little parak about a character named Hagar. But notice, Ger Your children will be a Ger in a foreign land. And near here, he has a concubine that he takes at Sarah's behest, whose name is Hagar. However, what happens? When Hagar becomes pregnant, Sarah afflicts her. And the word is, Sarai. Now notice what the promise was. Your children will be foreigners in a strange land, ger in a foreign strange land. They'll make them work and they'll afflict them. And then what's going to happen? They're going to leave with great wealth. Well, by the way, what does Hagar do when Sarah afflicts her? She runs away. Where does she run away? To the desert. Where did we leave to? So there's a whole lot going on in the Hagar story uh, related to this breed that should not be overlooked, but we're going to overlook it this time. Just wanted to throw out a few little um, you know, uh, pieces for, for, for rumination. But the real problem that exists here, again, seems like a technical problem because the first half of this breed takes place at night, and the second half of this breed takes place at sunset. How do you reconcile that? So anybody have any ideas how to reconcile it? One. What? I have one idea, which is it's not nighttime. Meaning, like, go count the stars as if you can actually count them. You can't count them. Because? Because there's too many to count. So that, Even though it's daytime or nighttime, it, yeah, but I then know what's what you're saying, of, that it should be not, it doesn't Then what's really the point matter. of taking them outside? Saying, if it's a theoretical statement, then you could say 
You cannot count the stars. Doesn't matter what time it is right now, you can't count the stars. But to take him outside and say, count the stars, can you count them, means that he's taking him somewhere where he can see them. And he says he can't count them. So that seems to be nighttime, right? He says it's in the same day. Who's that same day? Okay, so one possible answer is that part one, which goes up to Pasuk, either Vav or Zion, takes place one evening. And a later day, maybe the next day, and maybe a week later, and maybe who knows how long later, this happens at sunset, right? So that's certainly another possibility. You're going to find four proposals by by the by the Rishonim to deal with this, but they actually cut to a lot more, a lot deeper stuff. Let's start with here. Now, by the way, I've color coded the answers also. All right, Rashi. Multiple settings. What? That again? Within the vision. Multiple settings within the same vision. So, in other words, in other oh. Words, Okay, good. So the minute that you call it a vision, you might be off the hook, right? And that's kind of what you're saying, Dovey, right? You know, if this whole yeah. thing is a vision, well, I can have a dream one night, and in that dream, it's nighttime, then it's daytime, then I'm at the beach, then I'm in the mountains, and I could be all in, in within five minutes in bed, right? So you're right. That might be a simple solution. And some yeah. of the Rishonim will take. So far, the two things you proposed are in the Rishonim. Don't feel bad about it. Feel great about it, Okay. So now, let's take a look at it. Rashi is going to right away, source two, is going to put the problem in our face. Rashi says that Hashem really took Avram out of his tent to see the stars. It's nighttime. Which means Rashi is faced with this particular problem of sequence. Right, and he doesn't address it. He does not address the problem. Now, Ibn Ezra is going to be direction two. And because he says, this is later on when the sun is setting. In other words, it's like Dovi said. And actually, it's like Avram said, which is that. The fact that it says the sun was setting proves it's on a different day. In other words, he had the first vision, and he woke up from that, and now on a different day, he does this, and the sun is setting, and that's fine. Okay, which means that the, the visions are presented in order. There's two separate visions. They are on two different days, and for some reason, the text did not tell us. Vayishan, Vayikatz Mishnato, like we have with Paro, like we have with Yaakov, people dream and then they or they have multiple visions. Okay. However, watch this. Rabbi Yosef Bechor Shor, that's Rabbeinu Tam's student, says Vayotzeo to Achutza. The one we took him outside. Okay, and this is what Dovi was saying. Veralo kochavim bayom, meaning bemachazek mo bechalom. In other words, it was daytime, but he was having a vision. So in his vision, he saw stars. And his proof is that the sun sets afterwards. In other words, he uses our question to prove his point and says, the very fact that it says that the sun then set proves that the first part was before sunset. So how could he see is, stars? The answer is it's a vision. He saw stars. So in is a it, isn't a machse a lower level of nevuah? Could be. We're gonna actually going to see some discussion about that. Okay, whether Machazeh is just another word for Nevuah, it's a lower kind of Nevuah, 
right? If you take a look at the Rishonim, by the way, in the first Pasuk of Yeshayahu, you'll see a discussion about that, the word Chazon, and whether it's synonymous or a different kind of thing. So Bamachazeh, the Radak says, Amar Bamachazeh, now the Radak picks up on something else, very sensitive to language. Here he has a machazez, you can see in the blue, right? And in it he says the word hine. Um, right? Where is it? Um, Vihine, right? Vihine, right? Says, why does it say hine? It doesn't say that anywhere in his other times he talked to him. He says, because what's new about this event? It's the first time Hashem's showing him something. Till now, every time Hashem has communicated to Avram, it's been words. These are all words. Now he's actually showing something. So, here it is. By the way, according to the Radak, Everything in this parak is a vision. He's Avram seeing something. He's seeing stars. He's seeing animals cut up. It's all a vision. In which case, by the way, we got no problem with sequence because once it's a vision, it can happen wherever you want. Okay. The Radak, a little later on in the parak, says, You see it? He's in his tent. And he has this nevuah. And in his vision, he took him out of the tent. I mean, he's still in bed. He envisions leaving. And then the Radak continues. The sun set. In other words, he uses our problem to prove the point, just like the, the Bechor Shore did. Right? Except one difference. The Bechor Shore said... The first part, the stars, was a vision during the day. The second part really happened. Radak says the whole thing is a vision. Isn't that right? Rambam's opinion that the whole thing is a vision? Yes. Yes. And the Radak explicitly quotes the Rambam several times in his commentary, not here, but in other places, when he talks, it says that any vision, by definition, was a, uh, the person was asleep. And therefore, for instance, Yaakov never wrestled with an angel, right? As an example. Okay, it was a vision. Okay, the Chizkuni says the same thing. I'm just piling it up. The Chizkuni, Chizkiya um, Bramanoach uh, in Provence says, It's as if he came out. Okay, um, the Ramban, who, by the way, Rabbi Bram, the Ramban seems to go in the opposite direction. Says, it's like machazeh, it's like a higher level. He now, he now he's moved up the ranks to get a machazeh. In other words, it used to be that he would have visions at night. It's a little different than the Radak. Now he has visions during the day. But why does the Ramban say it was during the day? Because like the Bukhar Shori says, this had to be before Brit Ben Amatarim, which is at sunset, and it really happened. And that's the way the Ramban likes to say, okay, I'm not touching this anymore. It's, it's, it's mystical and I'm not going to touch it. Okay. 
I want to go to the 19th century. And Tedeschi and his Hoyle Moshe says the following. The Pasuk He makes a great point. He says that the whole thing starts out b'machazeh, which means Avram's having a vision. It never says he woke up. The whole chapter He's essentially saying the same as the Radak for a different reason. He's not saying it based on philosophic grounds, but textual grounds. The Torah starts out by saying he had a machazeh. It never says that he stopped having the machazeh. So the whole parak is all a machazeh. Notice this is now polemic. Don't challenge me. But the part of the problem is it says, at Brit Mamatayim, it says, it, the sun started setting and Avram fell asleep. How could he be falling asleep? He's already asleep. And by the way, you have this in Zachariah, in the famous Nerot Chanukah piece, where he's having a vision in a vision. And now we have a different problem, which I mentioned about Avram being chutzpahdik and saying, how do I know I'm going to inherit it? Because if it's a vision, then Avram never said it. It means God in, has him envision him asking that. In other words, God shows Avram a vision, and in the vision, he has Avram ask the question, how do I know I'm going to get it? So he could tell Avram the answer. And what's the purpose of this whole thing? So that when we get out of Mitzrayim and we see that that vision that we heard about that happened to our ancestor all those years ago came true, so that when they're in Egypt and they're enslaved, they say, oh, that's what God told Avram, they'll also know that the other part of the promise that we'll leave with great wealth will happen. And they won't think God has abandoned them. They'll know that this is, in other words, we have to hear about this so we'll know when we're in the middle of the first part of it, the, hor the horror of, of oppression, that we'll know that the joy of leaving with great wealth is around the corner, right? And then, because otherwise they would say, God has abandoned us. Let's go join, uh, let's join the Egyptians, we'll follow the customs. Okay. Um, Good. So that's all one direction. You see, it's all in blue and it's all in one direction, which is with a lot of variations, which is that part or all of this thing is a vision which solves the problem of at least of sequence. It may solve the problem of Avram saying something chutzpahdik, right? And it means that, by the way, all of this symbolism is exactly that. So the the buzzards coming down or the vultures coming down is symbolic and Avram shooing them away is a symbolic and everything else. Okay. However, as you see, we have other colors. So we have other solutions. So if you look at the bottom, you could see that, um, that uh, we have four different approaches. Now, as I told you, Rashi's approach is that this really happened. This also, this stuff all really happened. And Avram took him outside to show him the stars. And afterwards, the sun set. So how does that work? So I'm going to take a piece of what Jason said and build on it. And we're just we're going to cover the first approach before we get into the to, to this third approach. 
According to the, the, the first way of looking at it, everything you're reading in the story exactly happened. It's not a vision, it happened. Meaning, Hashem appeared in a vision and said, don't be afraid, I'm giving you a great reward. And from then on, everything is happening. You could videotape it. And Hashem takes Avram out and it's daytime and says, count the stars. Can you count them? That's how many kids you'll have. So I'm going to tell you something that our neighbor here, Chaim Plotzker, told me many years ago. And it's a great chop. I can't say it's a shot, but it's a great chop. How many, so if Avram's outside during the day and looks up, how many stars do you see? Zero. No, you see one. Right, you see one. And by the way, are, are the rest not there? They're there. You just can't see them. Like the seeds in the ground. What? But you cannot see them because of the sun. You can't see them. So the hop is that Hashem says to Avram, you know how many stars there are out there, and that's how many kids you're going to have. However, you'll only see one. In other words, and it works very well in English because you're going to see the sun, S-O-N, and that's who you're going to see in your lifetime. Now, the truth is he does see two grandsons in his lifetime, but uh, but they really are there. Now, that also means that Im Tuchali's time takes on a double meaning. One half of it is, you're, the stars are innumerable, but the other one is, you're not able to count them because you're not going to have direct access to them. They'll, they'll flourish and become great numbers long after you're dead. Okay, that's possible. If you take the approach of these Rishonim and Achronim, that the whole thing was in a vision, that we have no problem with sequence, we have no problem with anything else. It's a vision. But we're not off the hook. Rabbi David Tzvi Hoffman, you all know, died in the 20th century, one of the founders of Agudis Israel. David Tzvi Hoffman in his commentary says, Brit ben is made during the day, as opposed to the previous statement. The previous statement was at night. He's bothered by the sequence. By the way, do you notice that everybody comments on this? So far, we've quoted, uh, you know, about 12 different uh, commentators. Shukumvan Hayabalayla. He said, for sure, it's the stars, that's night. Pasuk Vav Me'avdeh Sakai. He says, Pasuk Vav is a break. It's exactly what you said. Go back to the Psukim. The first six Psukim, up until Avram trusting God, that happens at night. Look at the stars. See the stars? It's how many kids you're going to have. Avram believes 100%. That's great. Okay. Come back tomorrow and we'll make a breed. And that's what happens here. Very simple solution. Right? And by the way, the Ibn Ezra said the same thing. Um, also based on the on the problem of the sequence. The Rashbam leads us in a different direction. As you can see, these are all three from the Rashbam. Notice that it's titled Rashbam HaMeshukhzar. So let me just clarify what that is briefly. The Rashbam, Rashi's grandson, Shmuel Mayor, wrote a commentary on all of Chumash, wrote a commentary on a number of the Mikilot and other books of Tanakh, besides a commentary on several Masachtot, the parts of Masachtot that we, that we are aware of. 
Um, however, the Rashbam, from pretty much the beginning of Breshit until the near the end of Lech Lecha, was lost to us. It had, it had not gotten printed, and the Kitveyad were lost. And so there have been attempts to sort of restore it, both from I think some Kitveyad, but also from the way that it's quoted in other Rishonim, especially the Rishonim of France and Germany, who quote the Rashbam. So it's a restored Rashbam. Right? So we'll see what he says. Uh, he says, It's nighttime. But how could it be when next afterwards it says it's daytime? Okay, and here's the kicker. Now, this opens up the door to a whole different direction. Is that the first time? What? Is that the first time that Rashbam says that? Um, I think it's the first time that he says it. I don't know. I don't think he invokes it too frequently. It's very famous in Rashi. It's famous in Ibn Ezra. Um, but the Rashbam, but the truth is, you, you have to say, there's just way too many places in the Torah that things happen out of order. Avraham dies before Yitzchak has any kids, but Avraham was alive kicking and in middle age at 160 when Yitzchak had kids, right? So there's different reasons why things are told the way they are, but within one story, without a visible break to say that there's not just like Avram said, part A happened and the next day or a later time part B happened. He's saying part B happened first, then part A happened. All right. Yeah. And here, here's how we it. Now let's take a look at what the Rashbam's thinking is and what's going on. We're going to start with, we're bringing it to an end, but we're going to start with a problem that appears between here and a famous passage in Shmot. In Shmot, as Bnei Israel is leaving Mitzrayim, it gives a count, and it says Bnei Israel lived in Mitzrayim how long? 430 years. 430 years. And here, their promise is going to be 400 years. I'm not concerned now with whether 400 is symbolic or not, What? but the point is that there's a contradiction between 400 and 430 years. And the way that Chazal solve it is to say that this promise that you'll have 400 years is from the minute Yitzhak is born, 400 years. 430 years is from now, meaning Yitzhak will be born 30 years from now. Okay. Now remember, Yitzhak is born when Avram's 100, which means when is this happening? Avram is 70. And 30 years from now, there'll be Yitzchak. And then 400 years, clock will start ticking. Okay. But wait a second. At the beginning of Lech Lecha, it says that Avraham made Aliyah when he was 75. So what's he doing with the Brit here when he's 70? So this is how the Rashbam reconstructs it. Hashem speaks to Avraham, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a little bit of a, my own nuance on this, but Hashem speaks to Avraham right here. When he's 70, and he speaks to him in Haran. Let's go through the family history a little bit. Where did the family originally come from? This is a huge machlok at Ramban and Rashi. 
right? Whether they originally came from Haran or whether they came from Ur Kastim originally, it doesn't matter. At some particular point in time, they were in Ur Kastim. And they had to leave Ur Kastim. And Terach picks the family up from Ur Kastim to go towards Canaan and gets to Haran. So it either means he gets to a new place called Haran or he comes back to Haran. Either way, he leaves Ur Kastim. And in Haran, Hashem says to Avram, Lech lecha mi'artzacha or else he said it to him in Ur Kastim. But Avram then leaves Haran, it's the Tomi Haran, leaves Haran and comes to Canaan. Okay. When did Hashem say, Ani Hashem 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 So it's very possible that he said that right after they left Ur Kastim when Avram was 70. And Avram says to Hashem, and Hashem says, I'm giving you this land to inherit it. Avram says, how do I know I'm going to inherit it? So he has him do the whole ceremony, the Brit Panamatarim, and he's given this Brit, and the sun sets, and they have an entire Brit. Okay? And then what happens? Avraham stays there. And then Hashem comes to him five years later and says, Lech lecha! Ela'ar, it's Asher Areka! You know, it's the land that I've already promised. I've already promised you. Go! Now I'll show you where it is. So he goes there. And he has all sorts of interactions in the land. And in that very first year when he's 75, Hashem, or a little, a little later than that, after the war with the kings, Hashem then turns to Avram and says, don't worry, you got a big reward. Avram says, what's the point of the big reward? I have no kids. And he says, you're going to have kids, and that's who's going to inherit from you. Go outside and take a look at the stars, and you'll see how many kids you have. Which means, by the way, that the promises are in an inverted order also. The first promise is not the promise of children. The first promise is the promise of the land. And after Avram comes to the land, childless, there is then a promise of children. So you, that's fine, but you have to ask the question. If this is out of order, and you always have to ask this question, whenever anything is out of order, why is it out of order? You never have to ask the question, why is it in order? In order is the default. But methodologically, you always have to ask, why would the Torah tell this story out of order? So there's one very simple answer. And I'll take you back to the death of Avram. Avram dies, and then we hear about how he's buried. Then we hear about Yishmael, and Yishmael dies, and he's buried. And then we go to Yitzchak, and we go backtracking many years to get Yitzchak married and Yitzchak having kids, etc. Why is that out of order? Because we want to finish the Avram story, tie up all those loose ends, and move on. Then we said, Ela told Yishmael, so we can't leave that alone and make it look like Yishmael is the only one who had kids. That would make the promise look bad. So Ela told Yitzchak, okay, so we move that, and that's the order we do it in. Fine. Here also, Avram came to the land. Avram fought the fight. Avram is engaged in this battle. And immediately afterwards comes the first component, but really the second component of the Brit. Acharad Vayimayla has to come first, because it has to follow on the story of the kings. Once the Torah is already telling the story of Brit number, of promise number two, it then brings us to promise number one, which is the land. 
And so then the promise of the land is brought here. And so even though we started this discussion with what seemed to be a somewhat trivial and very technical problem of sequence, how could this be nighttime and this is day? And we came up with all sorts of answers. Answer number one is, that's exactly the order it happened in, but it was, not, it was daytime when he went out and the stars that he counted were one star. Possibility two, the whole thing's a vision. If the whole thing's a vision, sequence doesn't matter. It all goes out the window. Possibility three is that, um, is that uh, this happened the next day. And then possibility four, which is that this, the order of the story is reversed. Is that what we're looking at the at the top? The promise of children actually was the second promise, and the promise of the land is the first promise, and that what comes here, and that's a promise that maybe was made to Avram not in the land, and maybe Brit Ben happened in Haran, and then when he comes to Israel, Hashem promises in the land the children, and that's the story with the stars, and that's that's what happened, and that's what goes on here. There's another reason also. Is that by placing things this way, the promise of the Brit Ben Amitarim, which is right here, comes just before the story of Hagar and Yishmael. And that's critical because Hagar and Yishmael are the most serious attempt to fulfill this to date. And when we hear Geri Yezaracha, which Avram heard years earlier, but Geri Yezaracha, and va'avadum ve'inu otam, and we then see it in the story of Saran Hagar immediately afterwards, we have all sorts of connections that we make. And we realize that Hagar, the Ger, Yishmael perhaps is the Ger, Yezar Acha, Sarab is Ma'aneh Hagar, maybe that's va'avadum ve'inu otam, which by the way should give us a real good scare, and look at the Ramban and the Radak's comments on Sarah's behavior. We now understand why the Torah switched these stories and put them in the order that it did. In order to have a real flow between Perak Yudal, the story of the kings, this Perak, and Perak Tetzayin, the story of Hagar and Yishmael. So hopefully we've gotten a couple of fresh approaches to an age-old problem, which is of sequence, and of uh, and of day versus night, and um, you know, and then of the the larger picture of what's going on in these uh, in these pretot.